We are going to begin today our series, Change of Heart. I'm going to give some introductory comments about that, but we will distribute handouts to you in just a bit. I know you're accustomed to receiving those when you come in, but I don't want you looking through them while I'm trying to do the introductory remarks. And uh, these introductory remarks, remarks, I hope, will make what's in the first handout uh, more helpful to you as well. So you'll receive that handout, and you'll receive some more handouts uh, as the series uh, progresses. If you think of it, uh, if we don't finish today's handout, which is likely, then try to remember to bring it back with you next week. If you don't, though, we'll have additional, additional copies. But we're beginning our series today, uh, change, of, change of Heart. And I want you to consider this experience that we've all had even if you've not had it in precisely the same way that I'm going to describe. If you've ever had occasion to visit uh, another country, as uh, Brother Tim in our first hour was preaching, he was talking about the Bible speaking of Christians as being foreigners. Some translations say uh, aliens, strangers in the world because we have different customs by virtue of our faith that God has has given us, and we live in a distinctly different, different way. And so we can feel like we are living in a strange country, even in the country of our citizenship. But if you've ever gone to a foreign country, as I've had occasion to do, you know there are a number of things that you're going to have to adjust when you are there. You're going to have to adjust to uh, the food. You have to adjust to your, your uh, dietary habits and your digestive system, are going to be different in all likelihood than that of the country that you're in. That can cause some some issues, and it can take some some time. I've been blessed when I've had occasion to go to another country to have my hosts as very sensitive to that, and so they understand how Americans eat and what kind of food we eat, and they try to provide that, for which I'm very thankful. But you have to adjust to the food. You've got to adjust to the, the currency. I've had occasion to go to China a a couple of times and to teach there uh, underground house church leaders. And uh, I've enjoyed being able to go there, but lots of adjustments when you go to to China. One of those is their their currency. Like any other place, you're going to have something different than dollars most most of the time. So I'm going on this trip, and as I was going out the door... My wife handed me, I've been to China prior to this, and she handed me some currency that I had left over from a a previous trip. She said, we got to get rid of this, take it with you, and and spend it while you're there. And so I I took it with me. As I was coming back, as I was going to leave to come back, I had about a five-hour layover in the Beijing airport, and so I thought this would be a good time for me to spend some of this money. And so first thing I'm doing is I'm going to go get a coffee. And as I go to the counter to get the coffee, uh, the person at the counter does not speak English. I don't speak Chinese or, or Mandarin, so I wasn't able to communicate. I just pointed that. And then I go to pay. And then I pull out this currency and I give. And she just shakes her head. Nah. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to do anything with this. Here, here's more. <laughs> and no. And I'm thinking, you only, take, you only take credit cards here? I mean, I did have a credit card. Not gonna give 
You know, so finally I do surrender a credit card. But I'm kind of annoyed that I've been given this stuff that I want to get rid of back. And as she's going to make the, uh, the coffee, I look at the currency. And this is, uh, there are Hebrew words on this. It's, this, this is Israeli currency. My dear wife just grabbed the funny-looking money in our drawer, <laughs> gave it to me, and I'm trying to give it to this poor Chinese coffee shop uh, person. So she brings me my coffee, and I say to her, Shalom, and I, <laughs> and I walk away. Lots of things to adjust when you go to another country. You've got to adjust to the food, you've got to adjust to the currency, dress, climate as well. Uh, I've been to an island off the uh, coast of mainland China, Saipan. Saipan is famous in World War II lore, uh, very famous in hard-fought battles uh, there. And again, for underground Chinese house church leaders to, to come and, and be taught. But on the island of Saipan, they have to preserve their electricity. And so during the afternoons, there will be hours in which there's no air conditioning. And as an American in the, in the intense heat of Saipan, that takes some, some getting used to. So food and currency and dress and climate. But one of the things that I've had to get used to, most of all in places like China uh, and especially uh, India, is disarray. That it just appears that nobody's ever planned anything. Now, and this is not to diss India. In fact, India is, has come and is coming a, a long way. If you have uh, Indian, Indian roots, it's, it's, not to, it's not to belittle. It's just this observation from this uh, all-too-comforted uh, American in India. But as, I, as we traveled through uh, parts of India, one of the things that stuck out to me was, unlike here where we have zoning, and so you have residential zoning, and you have business zoning, and you have industrial zoning, and things are regimented that way and categorized that way, uh, there is no such thing. It's just wherever somebody builds something, whatever it is, and so you can have industrial right next to a shack where someone, where someone lives, you've got, you've got businesses going on, and not much is... Not much is regimented. It's, as I say, it seems like disarray, nothing in order. And I remember feeling, while I was in India, feeling like I just wanted to have a big whistle that everybody in the country could hear. And I just wanted to blow this whistle and say, hey, let's start over. Let's get some order to this thing. But here's the problem, and here's the reason I bring that up. The truth is you can't start over. You can't start, start over, or at least you cannot start over very easily because the train has simply left the station and it's hard to get back to the station with a new route and a new destination. Once it starts going, it's going down the track. And it is what it is, and you can improve it, but it's going to take a long period of, a long period of time. And that's true of countries, that's true of customs, that's true of of nations. Now, I said at the beginning of this that, that you've experienced this too, even if not in the same way. And here's why I say that. 
Because every person in this room is on a moving pathway that does not easily allow reassessment, regrouping, or starting over. Your life is this moving walkway. You got on it very early on. I'm going to talk about how it is that each of us got on this this moving walkway, kind of like the walkway that you see at the airport. And you're on that, and the thing is moving along, except this one doesn't end. It just keeps going. And if, as you're going on that moving walkway, you want to do what I wanted to do in India, you want to take that whistle, and you want to blow it, and you just say, hey, let's stop. Let me start over. When in life do you get the opportunity to do that? When in life do you get a chance to just say, okay, wait a second. Let's start everything over because you are, you are in it. You're not only in it, but other people are now in it with you. You've acquired them. You've acquired responsibilities. And so you're on this moving walkway that is life, and you cannot easily get off. Now, that's one of the reasons that it's really good to have at least one day out of seven where you're able to rest. By the way, that was God's idea. So that you can just step back and you can say, okay, what am I doing? Some time to reassess going into the following week so that you can make some needed changes. But when did you start, when did I start going on this moving walkway? Not well, started at, at birth. <laughs> Your walkway started going. And think about it, you had no say in who it is that you're going to get on that walk of life with. You showed up. And you showed up to, if you had two parents, you showed up to two parents. If you you had one parent, then you're on this walkway of life with your, your one parent. If you had no parents, then you were in... Uh, you were in an, an orphanage perhaps or something with people who that are going to be going on this walkway of life with you. But the point is, whatever your circumstances, you had no say in that. And further, they had no say either, really. I mean, none of them knew what you were going to be like, how you were going to, to turn out. And so your view of life that you didn't get to choose from the very beginning starts to take shape at a very, very, at the very earliest of ages. And you acquire that view. You absorb that view. You acquire the way you see yourself and the life that you have now entered with people that you didn't choose and they didn't really choose you either. And you acquire that by osmosis. Somehow you're picking up the way the world works. The way the world's supposed to work. The way you wish the world worked. You're picking up your view of life, whether good or bad. And in the process of that, one of the things that happens with most people, the Bible teaches, is that as you start on this walkway, 
other people with you that you didn't choose, and you're just picking up the way things are supposed to go based on what they're telling you and what they're modeling before you. And your thoughts are going all the time and you're processing what you're seeing and you're experiencing. One of the things that happens with most people is God doesn't play a role in this. Now, if you were fortunate enough to be born into a family that's God-centered, then they are trying to model that before you. They're trying to tell that to you from the youngest age and thank God for that. But for many people, that's not the case. That was not the way you grew up. And even for those of you who grew up in a a home that was a church-going home, many people are theologically, we are theists, that is, we believe in God, but functionally, and I say this not to be unkind, but functionally we're atheists. There are many homes where people go to church, but functionally, practically, Monday through Saturday, how much difference does God make? And so God is often forgotten, if not completely forgotten, at least sidelined. And when that happens, then who becomes paramount? If God is not paramount, if God is not the focus, if God is not first, which is the case for most people, and they come into the world and they get on the walkway, then who is the focus? Who is paramount? Well, that would be you. That would be me. And you're having this reinforced by other people, telling you how great and special you are. And so you're just acquiring your thoughts about life. You're having your own formed. You're getting them from other people. And they may or may not be accurate. Very often they are inaccurate. As they don't involve God in a very meaningful way. And then you begin to do some things now with this. At the very youngest age, as you learn to communicate and observe the people around you, this kind of dynamic is happening. But then as time goes on and you are able to communicate, you're able to be around other people, you're socializing, even as a, even as a child, you begin to do some things. You begin to compare. You're comparing yourself now to them. And you're forming thoughts. You're forming thoughts about yourself vis-a-vis other people. I'm better than those people. I'm worse than those people. But you're comparing. You're contrasting what you're like versus what they're like, favorably or unfavorably. You're being bid in that socializing to conform. You've got people around you who are older than you, parents, teachers, older kids, and they are bidding you to conform to what they are and what they're like. So you're going through this process of trying to sort it out. You're comparing, you're contrasting, you're conforming, you're contradicting. You are making critical thoughts, hopefully, not just absorbing and taking in what other people are telling you to do and saying, no, that's no, that's no good. I'm not doing that. I'm not going that route. But here's the key question for you, for me, for everybody that comes into this life and starts on the moving walkway. 
by what standard do I make these evaluations? How do I really know whether something is good or bad? How do I really know whether this is the route to go or that's the route to go when I look at the vast number of people around me all making their own sets of choices, all of those informed by the people who are around them that, once again, neither chose? We've got about 8 billion people in the world now. And so technically you can have 8 billion ideas about what the right road is, how it should go. And so when do we ever have time to stop and assess the standard by which I'm going to make these judgments? And the answer for most of us, just in the throes of life, is that we don't have much time to do that. Now, thanks be to God, here we are. Here you are. You've been able to set some time aside on the first day of the week, one in seven, 45 minutes, the next few weeks for us to talk about what you normally don't have time to even think about, let alone talk about, let alone make changes. So I've got some notes for you guys. Thank you. The guys are going to hand those out. And you see on the, you see on the screen there, the name of our series, Change of Heart. That's the mailer that we sent out to all of the 48183 zip code. Welcome to those of you who received the mailer and determined to attend, and I hope you'll do that over the next few weeks, and I hope you'll find it helpful to you. So that's the the graphic, and you'll see that graphic on the front of these handouts that the guys are, are distributing. And you'll see on the front, it says... Section 1, a change of perspective. A change of perspective. And in fact, page 1, up at the top, is titled that very thing, a change of perspective. So this class is going to have sections to it. This is the first section, and it's about that, a change of perspective. And then we're going to have a a change of attitude and a change of mind and so forth. All of those necessary in order for us to ultimately have what we really need, a change of of heart. So on the cover you see it says section one, a change of perspective. And if you'll turn to page one, then top of page one, a change of perspective. And you see the footnote. I want to call attention to the footnote at the bottom because this material has been adapted with permission from someone many of you know from a few years ago, Rick Thomas, who's a biblical counselor. Rick was with us for a marriage retreat a couple of years ago. He spoke at our church on a Sunday, and he's got this book called Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. And we have that book in our resource center. So if you're interested in getting more, then uh, I'd encourage you to pick up that book. A change of perspective. I say at the top, most of us attend a class like this because we want something to change in our lives or relationships. Let me stop there. Lives or relationships. When we say our lives, we're talking about our circumstances. We're talking about our situations. We're talking about impersonal 
external circumstances in which we find ourselves. So that's what we mean by our lives. And we've added, though, our relationships, because those, by definition, of course, are are personal. And so the one category of our lives is impersonal, not necessarily involving other people. It's just the stuff that is surrounding my life, the environment in which my life is carried out and lived. My situation, my circumstances, relationships involve other people. But whether impersonal or personal, whether our lives, situations, circumstances, or our relationships, both of those have some things in common. And I don't have these in the notes. And as we go through this series, you'll find that I say a bunch of stuff that's not in the notes. And here's why I do that. I say things that are not in the notes for job security. If I just give you notes, then you can just read the notes. And then somebody's finally going to go, what do we need that guy for? (laughs) So that guy's got to say some stuff that's in addition to the notes, hopefully explanatory and, and helpful. So both of these, the lives category and the relationships category, the impersonal and the personal, they involve four things if you care to jot them down. They involve how I see God. They involve how I see myself. How I see God. How I see myself. How I see others. So how I see God. How I see myself. How I see others. And how I see my world. How I see God. Myself. Others. My world. And whether it's your circumstance that you're in, that you're trying to to figure out, the way you view that circumstance, that impersonal circumstance, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's an economic issue that you have, a financial issue. But the way you view that, just like the way you view your relationships, are all going to involve these things categories, how I see God, myself, others, and how I see my world. All problems fit into these four categories. In a future handout, in fact, in your next handout, we're going to see those four four categories. And notice the way that I've, I've worded it. It's how I see God, how I see myself, see others, see my world. That word see is important Because this lesson is about a change of perspective, which by definition, perspective is seeing. So we get spectacles from it, or a spectator who's watching. So here in this lesson we're calling for now, if you're going to ultimately have a change of heart, it's going to require a change of how you see things. The way you spectate, the way you observe, the way you think about, a change of perspective. So top of that, page one, next line, second line, perhaps our marriage is in trouble. Maybe you're a parent and struggling with a child. Sometimes life can take unexpected turns. All of us have found ourselves in those places. When trouble comes, we look for answers. 
We're looking for help and a Christian perspective on how to change is a solid option for some of our most perplexing challenges. However, it's important to understand that this course by itself will not change you. If your heart's desire is to change, you need to consider six things before you embark on what I hope is this transformative journey. Without knowing these elements about life change, you may be disappointed about your experience and possibly miss what God could be writing into your life. So there's these six things now. And the first of those six is from the outset, as you think about there's things that need to change, things that need to change about me, things that need to change about people with whom I'm in relationship, things I would like to see change externally, impersonally, in my circumstances. As you think about those, first of all, count the cost. Jesus said this in Luke 14, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Before Jesus said these words to the crowd, he had told them if they did not die, they could not be his disciples. And before he said that, he told them what that might practically look like in their lives, and nothing has changed since that time. The game is still played by those rules. Are you ready to die? to what you set up. Because remember how you set it up. That's why I wanted to start with that introduction. You set it up just by getting on the moving walkway. And you started coming up with stuff and people started telling you stuff. And for most of us, we didn't have a standard by which to properly evaluate those things. And so we acquired them by osmosis over time. So are you ready to die to those dreams, hopes, aspirations. And this is not my idea. Those are the words of Jesus. He did not come to earth to find and enjoy the best marriage, the greatest children, or the most money. Quite the contrary, Jesus came to die. And the only way you can find what you're really looking for, peace with God, yourself and others, is through that same path. So, I mean, that's a very stark word that Jesus uses. Be willing to die. As you think about that in the context of actually living, going on, the idea here is for you to take this to change and for you to change for the better and so live better. Well, then how does that relate to dying? Well, when Jesus talks about dying to those things like dreams, hopes, aspirations, and all that, what he means is this. By dying, it means giving up what you thought and valued. You die to, that is, you give up, you sacrifice what you thought and what you valued. And at the very outset, this is the first of these six things that you need to make a decision about. Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to give up what I thought, what I've acquired, what I valued, Because as I think about how I acquired it and how I've come to think it, it's not completely based upon what God says about it for most of us. So count the cost first. Secondly, change of circumstances, understand, may not happen. So here is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. And he says there, many of you know this passage, but he says, I was given some physical malady, 
It doesn't tell us exactly what it was, but it was something that tormented him physically. That he asked the Lord, in fact, he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take this away. But then he says this, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, that's why I was given this thorn in my flesh. And though I didn't like it and I didn't want it and I asked God to rid me of it, God chose for me to have this and to maintain this physical difficulty in my, in my life. But God had a good purpose in my life, says, says Paul. So change of circumstance may not happen. We could have called this series change of, and you could fill in the blank, right? Change of my good-for-nothing spouse. We could have put that in there. Right? Change of my circumstances. Change of my situation. Change of someone or something outside of me. But see, we don't know that anything outside of you is actually going to change because you don't control anything outside of you. And so that would have been deceptive, would it not? And by the way, many of the self-help books with five keys, you know, 12, 12 secrets, whenever people tell you what the keys are and the secrets are, save your money, I would say. But very often that's what they do. They tell you, if you do this stuff, this is what will happen. So what we're telling you here is being very upfront. Change of circumstances, change of the situation external to you, the impersonal thing to you, or even the personal relationships with somebody else that you cannot control, those may not happen. But what can happen and what you can control is what changes with you, a change of heart, so that even if the ex things external to you don't change, you've changed. And now you view them in a radically different way. And you experience them then in a radically different way. Bottom of page one, it was the will of the Lord to kill his son, the Bible teaches. It was the will of the Lord to give Paul this depressing thorn in his flesh, one that would never be removed despite the fact that Paul had pleaded for it. The Lord pondered his request and decided to give him, in fact, something else. And so, first of all, count the cost. Secondly, understand that change of circumstances may not happen. And thirdly, then, since you can't control what happens with somebody else, focus on yourself. Jesus famously gave in the Sermon on the Mount this portion in Matthew chapter 7 where he said, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus gives the priority here when he uses the word first, first, start with, do this, look at you, clean house with you. The easiest trap for a person to fall into during relational conflict is to talk about what's going wrong with the other person, spouse, child, parent, or friend. But will you embrace this as your own? I will not say anything critical about anyone else. 
I will focus on myself and what I need to change rather than what someone else needs to change. If I have something negative to say about someone else, I will frame it in the most positive light while expecting myself to adapt rather than demanding they are the ones who must change in order for me to be happy. So if you're going to make that, that commitment, and I urge you to seriously ponder doing so, and I hope that you will, then this is not in your notes. But you're going to have to understand the difference between a desire and a demand. You see, in our relationships, we can desire many good things that we would like to see in the other person with whom we are in that relationship. We can desire those. But when those become demands on the other person, now, whether or not you bear fruit in the midst of that relationship depends on whether or not your demands are met in the life of the other person. And you can't control that. And so make these two commitments so that you are on the right side of the desire-demand line. Lord, I desire to see this happen. Things change in my life and in the life of someone very significant in, in my life or someone's. But I can't control that, and therefore it is not a demand in order for me to do what I know is right in my own life. So this course, middle of page two, can be effective if you'll own what you just read. You don't go to a fitness center because the other person's obese. You go to change you. If you don't see your problems as opportunities for you to change, this will not work. So make this your truth. Read this carefully. What I have done to Christ is far worse than what any person has done to me. That's biblical Christianity. Because, see, it's called Christianity because it's centered on Christ. And Christ is God having come to the earth as a human being. And it was necessary for him to do that because our plight was so hopeless. It was so hopeless because the Bible teaches we, all of us, have rebelled against God. And we have no hope of remedying that ourselves. God, in His love and mercy, took upon Himself to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And what we have done to Him in that rebellion is far worse than anything anybody has or will ever do to us. That's a God-centered, gospel-motivated idea that must stabilize your heart while focusing your mind during this season of your life. If you miss that, you miss the advantage of having the Lord at work in your life. And so count the cost. Understand that your circumstances may may not change. Focus on yourself. Guard, fourthly, your heart. The Bible says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this one is about a relationship. And so you're in a relationship that you'd like to see change for the better. 
If it's going to change for the better, then that may require change on the part of the other person that, of course, you can't force, as we've said. But here in this verse, it involves both, both the person who you want to see restored and the person who is the restorer. And so the question, are you the caught person or the restorer? It's a trick question. You're actually both. You, like me, are caught in many sins. You have several things that you've been historically that have been historically and habitually wrong in our lives. We should also, though, be not just the perpetrator, but we should all be restorers. We should be actively engaging our friends and family, trying to help them change. If you're coming to this point in your life because you hope the other person will change, that's fine, but there are requirements on you in order to help restore them. You must help them Change through a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself or you will sin mightily against them. So are you, ask yourself, are you a gentle restorer of others? Do you sin against them because they're not changing according to your expectations in your timetable? It's moved from a desire to a demand. And if you fail as a restorer of others, then you're interfering with and circumventing what the Lord could be doing in their lives. Sinning in response to sin is never the right response. Guard your heart. If you're taking this course because of a broken relationship, then how you think about and respond to the other person could be the thing that makes this class a success or a failure. Fifthly, as we've been saying, you cannot change anyone. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy, And he says this, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Notice that line. God may perhaps grant them repentance. It's saying that God even with you doing your gentleness and not being quarrelsome and all of that, which is the right thing to do, even with that, God's going to have to do an inside work on that person and grant them repentance. A change of mind is what that word means that leads to a change of direction. And so that means what the next paragraph says, on your best day, you're a waterer and a planter. You plant seed and you water it in the life of those with whom you have relationship on your best day. But you can't change anyone. Only the Lord can bring change. And it's not a guarantee He will do what you want Him to do when it is you want Him to do it. Now this is the season that you've chosen for change. How do I know that? You showed up. So here you are. And you're saying, I know something's got to change. Things are not what they should be. They're not what they should be. Perhaps you have the insight to see they're not what they should be in your own life. They're not what they should be in my circumstances. They're not what they should be in some of my relationships. So you've chosen this season for change. You may have a spouse or child or friend. And here as I go through these and read these, if you have a pen, just mark the number of times that the word you or your shows up. You may have a spouse or child or friend you want to see change. That is your thought for them. It is your idea. 
It is your hope. It's not a bad hope, but it is yours. And you see, with all of that, it may not be a bad thing. You've got this desire, but it can't morph into a demand. And it might not be the Lord's will to change them now or at all. You must adjust your heart then accordingly. The mind of the Lord on these matters is not yours to understand. His ways are far superior. So can you guys think of, if you just think about why would God put me in a situation and or a relationship that's not going to change? Or at least that I don't know is going to change? One reason he would do that, dear friends, is because the God who made you and made this universe wants every creature in it to acknowledge his complete control of his world. And so he puts you in situations and he puts me in situations where we are not in control. I can't make it happen as much as i might want it to happen i can't make it happen and that humbles me before god and god desires and deserves to have his creatures acknowledge him as the all-powerful creator the one on whom we are dependent and so the question for you is whether you'll be okay if you don't receive the change you hope for as you go through this process there's grace for unexpected and undesired outcomes to your circumstances. And then lastly, sixthly, expect to be surprised. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, had died. But Jesus says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. In other words, Jesus is saying, Lazarus is my dear friend. And in fact, Jesus wept when he finally came to the home of Lazarus, and they were mourning his death. But he says it was ultimately for something good that you may believe, even this difficult thing. Christian counselor and author Rick Thomas lost a wife and two children through an adulterous affair. He lost two brothers through murder. He lost his dad to drunkenness. The truth is, you may not get what you want in life. But nevertheless, Rick is able to say this, the Lord is good. This is not pie-in-the-sky dreaming or bumper-sticker theology. It's a truth that's branded on the hearts of all of those who have experienced God in the crucible of suffering. The wisdom of God is wiser than us, and His weakness is stronger than us. We can sing about our great and powerful God, but the real question is whether we're willing to take the death march to the crucible. Your suffering may be the perfect thing for you. To change it, though it seems reasonable, might be the worst thing for you. The child that gets everything he wants is not the better for it, as we heard from in our message in the first hour. The child who finds peace through the disappointments of life has found the secret to living well in God's world. All right, we're going to stop there then. We'll talk about the starting place then. But those are those six commitments, and I encourage you to pray about those, ponder those, commit to those. If you'll do that, then there's great hope for you to receive change as we go through this course together. If you remember, bring these notes back 
If you don't, we'll have extra copies, so that's fine. One last thing, we'll pray and be dismissed, and that is uh, just want to make you aware of our annual Memorial Day picnic, and that is a week from tomorrow on Memorial Day. It's here. It's at the backside of our building. Those of you that are members of our church know about that, but those of you that are guests today, you may not, and we would love to have you come and join us for that. Uh, and so the church will provide the, uh, the main dish, and uh, if you'll bring a side, if you're able to bring a side dish, uh, and then just do that. If you're able to bring a side dish, if you're a guest, if you're not part of our church, if you're able to bring a side dish, just bring any kind of side dish you can bring. And then don't worry about bringing a dessert or uh, a beverage. We'll already have plenty of, of that. And if you can't get a side dish, buy a side dish, or make a side dish, then forget the side dish. Just show up because we would love to have you at noon, one week from tomorrow, here at the backside of our building. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to step back, reset, reassess, get a chance to think about where we are, how we got here. Because, Lord, all of us comes into life as that moving walkway with people that we didn't choose and didn't... And they weren't able to specifically choose us, didn't know what we would be like. And yet you chose all of that. You knew all of it. And so, Lord, help us then to see that what we really need to do is get in tune with you and your perspective, the way you see things. Help us then to be willing to change what we have thought, change what we have valued, and instead be looking to view you properly, ourselves properly, others properly, and the world in which you placed us properly. And as a result of that, we change. Our hearts change. Our experience of whatever we are in changes radically. And you, an all-wise God, can change the persons with whom we're in relationship, the circumstances in which we find ourselves, if you so choose. But whatever you choose, we know is best. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help, my friends, as we go to think about these large truths that have great impact on our lives. Think about whether we're willing to count the cost and understand that change may not happen to make these six commitments. Bring us back together next Lord's Day. We ask you to grant us safety throughout this week. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.